welcome to episode 54 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me as usual is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we try to dig up gems from the App Store fantasy world filled with salt. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, been watching a lot of Olympics and uh, playing some games, so it's been good. Yeah, it's a fun winter period time, and... You know, the Olympics we talked about last week, and we also had Apple News last week. This week, there's not much going on with Apple News beyond the reviews and reactions to the HomePod, which are we established pretty well. Though, if you want a really good speaker, it nails that. If you want a smart home device, that's not what it is. So keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of disappointing because really that's – they were – trying to like say we're going to be better than amazon echo and google and they were going to take over this market but it sounds like they really missed the boat yeah they changed kind of paths midway through development it said i think that the device was in development for like six years so i don't know what changed along that path but something must have yep and so that means it's time for some apps and the first one this week is my script calculator and this we've talked about MyScript apps before, and this one is specifically for math, which has it uses the MyScript engine, which lets you write on the screen, and the app can kind of figure out what you're writing. So if you write 25, you know, you just scribble it with your finger, it's going to identify that it's 25, and then you go plus 32, and it will give you the answer right then. You can you multiplication, division intervals, log functions, and all kinds of complex equations all through the app. You can even write question marks to make it kind of more of an algebraic solution, and the app can try to calculate the missing variable. Yeah, this is impressive. I've been playing with this a bunch, and it recognizes everything. It, I mean, we really liked the MyScript Nebo. We thought that did such a good job of translating notes and things. And this, it's so intuitive. You just write out with your finger exactly what you want, your little mathematical equation. You can go on multiple lines if you want. You don't have to put it all in one line, and it will it'll wait. And you can just write it all out, and then it'll do the translate. Or you can put an equal, and it'll do a translate. But if you wait long enough, it'll do it. But I was impressed just how well it did. And it can do other things like square roots. It can You can put in pi in there. You can do logarithms. All kinds of crazy stuff. It, like, it, it just, it's like magic. Yeah, it's like having your, you know, writing on a piece of paper and having that paper be able to solve your equations as you go. And then once you do have a solution, you can tap and hold to drag it down to a next line and then go from that to have a whole new sequence built upon your answer. So you can, you know, do multiple calculations all sync together to get to the final result you need. Yeah, and you can also quickly flip between like fractions and decimals if you want. So it's it's pretty robust and has lots of features for something that initially just looks like you can write down a simple equation, but you can do a lot with this. Yep, you can copy your results and then you could do multi-line. Like say you run out of space, which I use the app on the iPad. The phone seems like it would be super cramped even if you had the biggest phone available. So hopefully you do have an iPad to work with, but you can you know, start an equation and then you can continue on the next line and it will save your progress and do a complete calculation. Yeah, yeah. It's And like I said, it just 
works so well. I mean, we saw that with Nebo where it seemed to recognize no matter what you wrote, it seemed to really do a nice job of recognizing it. And this thing, I didn't have any problems where it misinterpreted what I wrote. But if you change your mind or something's not quite clear, you can actually do that whole scratch out thing where you just kind of scratch it with your finger like you're crossing it out and then replace it with whatever you want for the next thing to for to do in the equation. It reminds me of Photomath. We talked about it before we came on recording. Just where Photomath, you took a picture of the problem and it tried to figure it out. It's a whole way to kind of accent learning or school process that I would have liked when I was still in school. And now here's a, <laughs> another new calculator app built on that same kind of idea. Right, yeah, and this one doesn't even look like a calculator app, so you could probably sneak it in and use it in school. And, no, I'm just taking down my notes. And yep. then they wouldn't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's my script calculator. It's two ninety nine and it's universal. And that means it's time for some games. And there's some pretty expensive premium titles this week. The first one is Dandara, which is a Castlevania or Metroidvania type platformer where it has the Metroid type of action platformer combined with the grand scale adventure of Castlevania and it combines it both together and really brings it to iOS in its full form it's kind of reminiscent of a retro Nintendo type of game and in this case they've really designed everything for iOS so you play as this heroine essentially a ray of hope in this dark world of salt that's been overtaken by all these, you know, oppression and isolation of darkness. And so you need to play as her to save the day. And they've made it with touch where you just pull down and release. You know, you change your trajectory and she flips all directions. So you, so you can be running along the ground and then you swipe up and then she's now on the roof or to the wall on the side. And there's these little, essentially, salt patches that she latches onto. So the only way to move is that swipe mechanic or that fire mechanic to go and move throughout the level. And then you also can use the left side of the screen to fire a weapon. And then as you go, you're going to have enemies to face as well as puzzle sequences. But the main takeaway is just the grand scale of this game. Where when you go to a level, there's multiple exit points and you don't know where they're going to go. And then each level you go into, it has these multiple forking pathway sequences and you start heading in one direction. You might never get back to where you originally had that forking pathway and you can just get lost. And then you can find these new tents and camp points. Those set as checkpoints to restart if you do lose. And then there's the roguelike elements where you, if you upgrade your health or as you level up, those maintain after you die and then reset a different camp point. So you can keep exploring in this big, vast world bit by bit, even if you do end up dying. Right. Yeah, that whole movement mechanic they have in here is that's what's really interesting about it, because normally in these type of games, you're just running around, you're jumping around, you can go wherever you want, where you're restricted to basically straight line jumps to another salt patch it makes it so that you can't go exactly where you want. Not only will you hit walls that kind of keep you from going any further, but if you don't have a path to hit another salt patch, you're going to get stuck where you are. So it makes for a, an interesting maze-like thing where you think, oh, I'm going to go down here and I can get over there. And then all of a sudden you'll get over there and 
there's no place else you can go or you've moved on to a spot and now there's spikes that are going to appear so you have to quickly get off so now you're quickly looking around for another salt patch to jump to to avoid getting spiked or maybe you have to quickly fire on an enemy that's walking down the path towards you so you shoot out your your fire beams at them and so it makes for a a really different feeling platformer because of that mechanism. I, I could see where some people might not like it, but the more I played, the more I kind of grew to like, and you start to feel this flow from it where you you're jumping, leaping from spot to spot to spot. And you, you get used to calculating out these angles and there are sequences where you might have to move pretty quickly and you can do it once you get used to this movement of just swinging around to have it point to another location and just keep on going from location to location. Those checkpoints that you mentioned, I did find them, I mean, you can get completely lost. As you said, like, you're just going around, you find another entrance, you start going down another path, and you're like, wait a minute, did I really explore all my options in the last screen? Maybe I didn't, but then you start going on a path. Hopefully you won't die before you hit another one of those resting points because otherwise you could end up going back pretty far if you made it quite a distance and didn't find a new checkpoint location which means you have to retrace your path and anything you picked up along the way from the treasure chest those you can't re-pick up if you go explore the treasure chest again it's empty but you do get to keep those items like you said where like i my character i've upgraded her weapon from three of these little fire bursts now to four of these fire bursts so even if she dies she has those four and i also picked up this little health regen thing which i get back every time I restart and it's good for one heart. So it's nice that you get those elements because you're going to be doing a lot of backtracking and retracking uh, to help you make it further. Those items that you picked up will allow you to maybe progress to areas you couldn't go to before. Yeah, there's just a whole bunch to do. It's really surprising how, like, if you're a completionist for this type of game, it might be a little frustrating because you feel like, oh, I don't know if I want to keep going down this road without <laughs> exploring that other road. But you kind of have to get over that because no matter which road you pick, it's going to have its own set of surprises and challenges waiting for you. So it's best to just explore a path and just keep going and hope you find one of those tent points just in case. And then going back to your point about the touch scheme, it's surprisingly well done that it allows for quick reactions you know like you said you have the kind of landmines on the ground or there's enemies coming at you and you need to be quick and it allows for those quick reactions it seems like there's even like this magnetism for the arrow that it's going to naturally go to the next kind of diagonal salt point and so you kind of have to just trust it and just get into the flow like you said of launching and then you know that you're going to go to the right point. And then since they set up that salt point to salt point trajectory, if you don't have that, then you know you can't go any further on this path. You might get to a room where it sounds like there's this big boss with this like deep-throated laugh up above, but you can't, <laughs> there's no angle to get to it. So you have to just take another path and maybe get back to it when you upgrade or do something different later on. And that is part of kind of the puzzle aspect beyond just that pure action platformer setup too. Right, yeah. And one thing they do do that's nice with that movement is they kind of arrange, like if there's a group of enemies that are coming at you at once, you got to try to take out a bunch of them. 
sometimes when they move to a new location, so what will often happen, like they have these little hornet type things and they're, they're kind of grouped and they'll move and then they may not attack you, but they'll move to another location. And sometimes you can angle yourself and you can see your exact trajectory because they give you that movement line where you could jump between some of these things and get away without actually having to try to quickly attack them. Maybe you try to just would rather get away because you only have one health. Well, now they actually, you can see if you're going to hit them when you move or not, because they always give you that path line. And it's not that like you have to learn like, Oh, well, if I pull back this much, like an angry birds type of thing where you have to guess how much power to use. No, it's just, you're just moving a line and it's telling you exactly where you're going to land on that next salt path. So it's nice and easy to predict where you're going to go. You don't no guessing required. Right. And so part of the kind of question for this game is it's $15. It's $14.99. It's universal. And is it worth that expenditure with the iOS pedigree of pricing and setup? And I can't say that it isn't. It's a really deluxe experience that you can get lost in and deliver multiple hours of enjoyment, especially if this is the type of game that you enjoy. But even if you don't, I think they've designed it in such a way that they've made a relatively kind of niche and complex subgenre as accessible as possible that really, if you're any kind of retro or platformer type of fan, you're just going to really enjoy going through all these forking pathways and just exploring all the worlds of Dandara. Yeah, so my concern is that price is going to scare people away because yes. I don't know this is a known quantity where we'll get to that in our next title. That's gonna people are gonna know like this is one that I definitely want to spend fourteen ninety nine on. Where I I almost think they should have done something where they gave you a portion of it for free and then it was an in app purchase to get the rest of the game just to get people kind of take a taste of it, get in there, try it. And then they'd be more likely to say, look, there is a ton of content in this game. I'm willing to spend the $14.99 where I think the, the sticker shock just because it is iOS is unfortunately going to scare away people from playing this game. And it, that's, that's disappointing, but that's the state of the app store these days where it's the race to free. But it's definitely, if you love these Metroidvania-style games, this is really well done. And I think it because of that movement style, I it really has something new and different to offer, That, but it still has that classic feel and that retro feel that I think you're really going to enjoy it if this is your type of game. Yeah, they've really done a good job, and it is kind of disappointing because the next game we're going to talk about, if they use the same... The next game has, it's free for chapter one, and then you can unlock the additional chapters, and there's a total full unlock the entire game. If they did that with this game, I think it would do a lot better than it's going to end up doing at $15. Yep. And so that's Dandara, it's $14.99, it's universal. And that next game is Final Fantasy XV. Right from the get-go, it's free, it's universal, chapter one is free. If you want to unlock the entire game, you can do it on a per chapter basis or there's a single unlock for 19.99. So $20 Final Fantasy 15 available on your iOS device and 
it's called Pocket Edition, but essentially this is the full Final Fantasy 15 game from the console versions. The difference is that that game has highly rendered, complex polygon figures. This they've kind of made it more rudimentary art style, and they've cut out the more open world setup. So it's just the storyline campaign with this new simpler art style. But that entire story of Final Final Fantasy fifteen is included for your iOS device. Yeah, so I am not a Final Fantasy player. <laughs> I do not play these games. I really don't like anime. I've never liked the art style in Final Fantasy. Granted, Final Fantasy fifteen on consoles looks absolutely amazing. Like these look like realistic people. I love the art style on this game. Like I love this cute little chibi style, like form that they turn these characters into it's still 3d and it's rendered but it's it's a much cuter art style way better than any of the previous final fantasy games and i so i went into this like especially in prices always kind of kept me from playing them to be honest because it's not something i thought i would enjoy so i'm not dropping 20 dollars. so to have this free entry to just go ahead and try this thing this blew me away. Like, I really, really enjoyed this game, and I'm ready to drop $20 to get the rest of it. So this is the way they should have been doing these games, with better art and, like, give people a way to try it without actually having to, like, commit all this money up front. Granted, yeah, there, it has the series has its, its fans that will go ahead and buy it right away, sight unseen, but... This was for me was like my first real experience with a Final Fantasy game, and I gotta say I was impressed. And the most surprising aspect is that they can deliver the entire campaign to iOS devices. So I don't know who at Square Enix came up with the idea. What if it, instead of you know porting Final Fantasy seven or eight or whatever last number they're on as super old game in its full form, what if we redid our latest game with iOS in mind? And it's a brilliant idea that's really executed well. And so you have that full campaign storyline. If you've ever played the console version, you know that there's a ton of side quests. Just that opening chapter one that's free in this game, where you have uh, you know kind of this farmland and you're driving the car you can get lost for hours in the console version of just driving around the car aimlessly and finding crazy side quests and all this kind of stuff that's stripped out of this game this just kind of keeps you on that straight line campaign storyline path but that's not necessarily a bad thing because that storyline is the usual Final Fantasy length and depth and kind of craziness and nonsensical setups and then they have designed all the control schemes for iOS in mind so that you just control one character, you have three other characters in your little band of guys, and they're controlled automatically by the computer, and you just tap. You tap to talk, you tap to move, and then you tap to attack. And then as you go, you're going to unlock new abilities built upon that tap to attack mechanic, but it's still always just one tap away. So it's made as simple as possible and as accessible as possible and it's not like they're shoehorning in all these kinds of virtual controls. They've really thought about making Final Fantasy for iOS devices. Right, yeah, I can see where people that are used to the consoles might be annoyed that it is kind of a dumbed-down 
per se attacking and the fighting because you're just tapping and you're not i'm sure in a in a console game you're probably doing all kinds of crazy stuff with all the buttons and pulling off all kinds of moves where this is that whole series of taps but it is a really rich game like this thing if you pick the high resolution graphics it's eight gigs of space you need on your device there's voice work that sounds amazing I mean, the graphics look really nice, even though they're not the console graphics that you have. I really like the art style and everything looks nice and crisp. I can see elements of where they kind of left you those hooks into that open world, like with the driving and things. But like you said, it's that portions of that stuff is chopped out. So to keep you kind of on this straight and narrow path, you still have the option of going and doing these side quests if you'd like, but it's not this open world where you can just run free and do all kinds of stuff. In fact, if you get too far in a certain location, you'll see your characters start to like backtrack and they can't go any further than that spot. So you will hit edges that you can't just do whatever you want. So, but still, that being said, there's still a lot to do. I love these little interesting side quests. I did feel a little lost with the story itself, just because I feel like fans of the series will know like these characters already. And they're talking about things that happened. And I don't necessarily even know who these characters are. I'm having a hard enough time even remembering who's who with their names, but it's even as someone who's brand new to the series, I found a lot to love and you can just dive right in and have fun with this one. Right. There's 14 games of pedigree based on something that I'm not aware of. So that is kind <laughs> of some type of limitation, but not really. You can fully enjoy this game as a standalone experience. And, you know, part of kind of the conversation. So this is Final Fantasy 15. It's free. It's universal. It's going to be $20 to unlock the entire game. And it goes back to Dandara. If they would have done that, in the, that same structure, I got to imagine it would have been much better. And I really appreciate that Square Enix is doing this for iOS. You know, Nintendo's trying all kinds of different payment schemes, the differences between Super Mario Run and Fire Emblem Heroes and Pocket Camp. And so now Square Enix wants kind of that idea to try out different things, see what they can do, see what does well on iOS. And that just benefits anyone who plays games on iOS. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to do stuff like this. There are different platforms. You can't treat every platform the same. And I think, or just immediately dumb it down to like a free to play with all kinds of ads and in app purchases. You have to try these other schemes. And I hope this works out well for them. I think this is a, a fair pricing scheme for this. And I think people are going to buy this full in app purchase to get the entire game. I, I can. I, I really hope this succeeds because this is where I want to see it go rather than either having an experience that's so bogged down with ads and other in-app purchases where people pay to win that it's not even fun or put in like things that stop you from playing because now you're going to watch an ad or now you have to wait for something to recharge. Just let people pay chunk wise like kind of like that telltale model where you could buy the pieces as you got to them or buy this whole slightly discounted season pass where this is kind of that same model because paying up front for two through ten you're paying less than buying each chapter individually or even buying the first three chapters and then jumping on another in that purchase for four through ten instead so 
I like the way this is headed. Yep, couldn't have said it better. And so that's, again, Final Fantasy XV. Give it a try for free and see if it's right for you and see what Square Enix is able to do on iOS. And then there's Dig Dog, which is a kind of small, condensed, retro-inspired digging action platform where you play as this cute little dog and your goal is to find the bone in a given level. You can move laterally or you can jump up or jump down to dig through the ground and try to find the bone. There's two ways to play. You can play either kind of the free run where you find the bones and there's not the enemy constrictions and it's relatively just kind of relaxed. And then there's the hard mode where there's all kinds of enemies coming at you. You have moles, you have bats, and you have various buzz saws that you could dig into by accident. You have to avoid all that while trying to get to the bone. And then there's spikes at the very bottom. So if you dig too far, you'll fall out of the bottom of the dirt structure and just fall into the spikes and lose. So you can't just go blasting down. You have to kind of carefully explore and push your way outwards in different directions, all while things from above and from the sides are trying to get you because you don't want to dig too far. So it's a constant balance to not dig too far, but you want to still keep exploring and keep ahead of things that are chasing you. Right, yeah, and if you go down too far, it is tough to get yourself back up. Like, you either are going to end up hitting those spikes at the bottom, or even if you can get back onto a platform area, your ability to go upwards in this game is pretty limited. Uh, That easy mode is pretty much practice learning the controls to me like that really didn't satisfy me at all i mean it was super quick to find the bone and you were done and that one i didn't like i the the harder mode i thought was it was a lot more challenging and offered more but overall i just really didn't care for this game all that much it to me it was kind of repetitive and boring i know there's like with the hard mode, there's almost this roguelike element where you're trying to progress further and collect these coins and and do more. But even then, you're going to die pretty quickly. And I don't know. I didn't really care for this. I don't know how you felt. Yeah, I couldn't find myself like truly engaged. I would go and spend my time with Dandara or Final Fantasy rather than Dig Dog. And I mean, it's a tough comparison for a little tiny game compared to those two premium titles. But even, you know, platformer games like Super Cat Tales 2 or any of those super fancy pants, any kind of game that it's comparable to, it comes up shorter. Even Dig It from like 2014 or whatever, this game just doesn't have that same kind of lasting appeal where... Like you said, once you play a few levels, you get the entire gist of the game, and then you replay to do better, and then you die really quick, and then you replay to do better, and you die really quick, and then it's like, I can do better, I know that I can avoid those bats and those spikes, and dig down quicker and get left and right, but it never seemed to really amp up the complexity. It might amp up the difficulty, but not the complexity, and I think that's where the game struggles. You And it just never really offers anything different. Like, it's yeah. the same thing over and over again. And uh, do I care after I've gone through 15 levels? Do I really want more of the same? Not really. It, yeah, you can change the orientation of things. You can put new enemies. But in the end, it's the same thing over and over and over again, which, I don't know, I got kind of bored. 
Yep, I felt the same way. And so that's Dig Dog. It's two ninety nine. It's Universal. Don't want to bore you too much with it. Yeah, and so next up is a port of a uh, single-player card game, which is called Hostage Negotiator. And so basically, you are a hostage negotiator. You have to, there's a villain who's taken hostages, and you have to, to, in order to win the game, you need to rescue at least half of those hostages, and you need to eventually get your pool of hostages. So you've rescued some of them, and... Maybe some of them die, maybe not, but that pool also has to eventually get to zero, and you also finally have to convince the abductor to surrender. So the way the game is played is played turns are played in multiple phases. So the first phase is a conversation phase. So you have these cards, which are conversation cards, and you're playing these, and they're const- they're trying to bring down this threat level. So it starts at four, and if this threat level gets too high, the host- the abductor is going to start killing hostages. And if it gets really low, he'll start releasing hostages. So you're constantly fighting against this threat level to keep it at a point where he's going to be able to release the either release these hostages or hopefully not start killing them. And then you're also trying to, by playing these cards, you're also earning these conversation points, which are going to allow you to purchase better cards. So you start out with a set of about six cards that are really basic cards that you can play. And then you use the conversation points to purchase new cards. Every time you play a card, you roll anywhere between one and three dice, depending on where that threat level is. And there's the success symbols on the dice. And if those come up, so each card has uh, three possibilities when you play it. And... If you get two of these successes, you get the best outcome on that card. Otherwise, if you get one, you get kind of like this mid-outcome. Or if you get none, then you get what's probably the worst outcome, which is probably going to drive up the threat level, or maybe it's going to cause a hostage to die. But the other ones will earn you either abilities to bring down that threat level, or maybe directly release a hostage, or earn you those conversation points, which will then allow you to purchase better cards. So after this conversation phase, you play whatever cards in your hand that you'd like to play. Then there's the post-conversation phase where that allows you to purchase cards with whatever conversation points you have. Any cards you played, they're no longer in your hand. So you could go into the next conversation with no conversation cards and you can repurchase those other ones on the following turn, the free ones that you used up. Finally, after the conversation phase and that post-conversation phase, there's a terror phase and that's this deck of cards which are never good for you. So these, you'll flip through these and the final card is a, a pivotal event. But the first 10 of them are these red terror cards, which cause something bad to happen. It might raise the threat level. It might cause a hostage to get killed. But something bad's going to happen that's going to force the time of this negotiation to go quicker and quicker and progress towards either a bad inc- outcome for you or a good outcome. But either way, it's going to force the, the conversation to move forward. And so you just keep on going through kind of this cycle of conversations and terror until you hopefully either get all those hostages released or you end up on this pivotal event, which is the final showdown, where now during this this phase, you are basically this is your last chance to save these hostages and get this abductor. So 
you ha- during that phase, you actually get to purchase additional cards during the conversation. So you can kind of recoup yourself during that conversation and hopefully buy other cards that will help you bring it to a good conclusion. More often than not, you are going to lose. You're, the guy's going to kill too many hostages or something's going to cause it to end the threat level because if that threat level gets high and, and then the threat level is supposed to even go up higher, he's going to kill more hostages. So usually I end up losing because host- too many hostages were killed. And they say once you start to get used to the cards and learn the cards, you can usually beat that first guy about 70% of the time. So far, I'm not on a winning streak at all. But there are other hostages, uh, other abductors that you can mix into the game instead, which kind of change things up. And there's some variability in the cards that'll come up because you only use a certain number of them. So the gameplay will be different each time you play. And I, I had, this is one that I, I've been eager to try the actual physical version, but I just never purchased it. And so now to have this digital version, which is does all this randomization nicely for you, uh, this is great. And you can just sit there and play and hopefully save some lives. Sounds like a super involved game. I couldn't get past the stages of reading all the different complex rules going on. But I did want to know, so it's card-based, but how involved is the random luck of the dice rolls? Yeah, so there are ways to mitigate the the dice rolls because you can discard cards in order to uh, get another chance to re-roll one of the dice. But it there is a strong luck element in this, which I guess is kind of true to form. Like, so as much as you try to talk someone down, whether or not they're actually going to listen to you, I guess there is that luck element. But yeah, if you're someone who's adverse to games that are heavy luck based i think you might have some problems with this but overall i felt like there were ways to mitigate the luck and i think the more i get used to the cards i think you'll be able to purchase the cards and get more cards in your hand to have those extra cards in order to play them to mitigate the luck but in those initial things i I understand where you're coming from with the with the the tutorial, it was pretty wordy, but I thought they did a great job of kind of stepping you through and then you'd make it only so far and you'd lose. And then you have to step through the next portion of it to learn the, the next piece. So they did do a nice job of chunking up those tutorial, but yes, there is some luck involved. Yeah, that's, I know, I know you're usually averse to that type of setup. So I just want to know how much it was included. Yeah, I, I so far I I don't feel like I lost. Well, some of the some of the times I felt like I just had bad luck and I lost. Other times I felt like I was on the cusp of winning. I just if I had just had one more card, it would have been okay. But uh, I don't know. I I'm really I'm enjoying it. I, I'm glad to finally check it out in in this digital form i think it's a a well put together this is the same developer who did the uh baseball highlights 2045 and so that was another game where i got to experience through the app and i thought it was well done and 
I, I'm happy to see this, and I'm sure right now it comes with four of the abductors, and the actual um, physical game had probably a tons and tons of expansions where they added additional things. I'm I'm sure if this does well, they'll start to add some of that content. Probably is in-app purchases within this app as well. But if you if you've been curious about the game for $3.99, it's a nice easy way to check it out. And so, yep, Hostage Negotiator, three ninety nine Universal. And then just to round out the week is Unicycle Hero, which is just a fun little Olympics-inspired game, though it is Summer Olympics. And if you ever thought that javelin toss or hammer throw or shot put were difficult, imagine doing them while riding a unicycle. You get that idea and you'd understand how this game is, where you have to first figure out the proper balance and momentum and then angle and trajectory of your throw while riding a unicycle, and then actually tap to activate the throw. And there's eight different events, and each event has a different trajectory and kind of momentum buildup for the unicycle before you get to it. And the first few minutes of the game is just failing, where you don't even get a throw off. You fall backwards, you fall forwards, you don't do anything, you throw the log straight up in the air and it comes crashing back down on your face. But then as you practice them all, you start to get the hang of them, and then you can try in the career mode where it's a circuit of all eight events, and then you can enhance your hero so he can throw further or ride his unicycle faster. Yeah, so when I complained about Dig Dog being repetitive... I'm going to contradict myself because I absolutely love this game. It is so stupid, yet it's so fun, and you just want to try it over and over and over again, especially as you earn those upgrades because now you're going to be stronger, you're going to have better, you're going to be able to go faster with the with the unicycle, and you do learn these tricks for each one of those events of maybe for the for the uh, the ball toss, whatever it is, not, I forget what it's called, just the heavy shot ball, yeah. the shot put. Uh you have to be leaning forward for that one. And then you'll notice like if you can kind of go back a little bit, so you're starting to tilt backwards and then just drive forward as quickly as you can. So he'll just be falling over just at the line and then let it go. Then you can get some great distance with it. It'll go up and then it'll, it'll move a little bit. And you just learn these tricks for each one of the events that you each time you play, you're going to get better and better. And then maybe you blow one. Well, now you got to go through the rest of them or you can just start all over. And you're like, oh, man, I messed up on the second one. I'm starting over because I know I can get at least a thousand on the first two. So I'm going to try it again. But it's one of these where it's just stupid fun. And I don't know, I, I really enjoyed it more than I probably should have. But it, it, there's no excuse not to download this one. Yeah, those crazy sports physics games just scratch that itch for me, and this is one that fits right in long, along those lines of like touchdowners or the soccer the physics. One. Yeah. yeah, dunkers, all those kinds of different ones <laughs> where it's just crazy stuff. You can barely control it, but once you do kind of figure out the mechanics, it's really just crazy fun that you it's tough to put down because you always feel like you can do better. As soon as you well, kind of get the idea, you're like, oh, I know how I messed up and how I could change it. Right. More so than than Dunkers and, and the football one. You can actually, this one, you feel like you actually do have some control because you can learn the mechanics of that unicycle and you start to learn of how to manipulate it to get it into the position you want 
when you're at the point of throwing. So this one, it does feel like you have no control at first, but you do learn to control this thing. And if there is some actual skill involved, unlike the pure dumb luck of something like Dunkers or one of these others where you're just flailing arms around hoping for the best. Yeah, there's definitely more control to you to superhero, and I think that even makes it more appealing. And so, yes. that's Unicycle Hero. It's free, it's universal. Like you said, there's no reason not to check it out, and I think that's everything for episode 54. Yep, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed, and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.